Everyone is being told to digitize their supply chains. The idea is that greater data integration will give us greater transparency and enable us to make better and faster decisions. The problem is how to do this, and sometimes even what to do. The enormity of the task has most organizations pushing this from one planning cycle into the next. Digitization ends up being a permanent item on the agenda for future action, a future that never seems to arrive. I'm Jane Singer, and welcome back to A Seat at the Table, where some of the best business leaders and innovators share their expertise so that we can meet the many changes and challenges in today's business environment. Today we're joined by Jonathan Porter, founder and CEO of Porter Logic, a world-class business supply chain tech stack. He has spent his career working with supply chain and business intelligence software, helping organizations better manage their digital transformation, fulfillment operations, e-commerce, CPG, and B2B SaaS. In this episode, Jonathan will be discussing the state of the art in attaining end-to-end visibility in your supply chain how utilization of data integration can revolutionize supply chain operations, the importance of scenario analysis and insights in demand planning for supply chain success, and how companies can build a customized supply chain solution that aligns with their business needs without requiring millions of dollars in CapEx. Despite all of the advancements in technology, people still play a vital role in the success of a business. That's why top companies invest in getting the best talent on board. However, finding good people is not always easy, especially when you need people with very specific skills or experience, such as with new technologies. That's why leading companies turn to AsianNet consultants to help them recruit that winning talent that gives them a competitive edge. AsianNet has decades of experience and a vast network that gives them an edge in finding the right executives for even niche positions. You can find out more about them at asianetconsultants.com. I'll also leave a link in the show notes for this episode. Meanwhile, let's find out from Jonathan how we can improve our supply chain tech without breaking the bank. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us here on A Seat at the Table. I'm really excited to talk about supply chain with you. That is a huge topic, and it has really moved sort of from the back room to the boardroom in the last couple of years. I mean, it's been top of mind for just about everybody. And I think you know things have settled down, but there's still a lot to unpack around making those supply chains better, making them more visible, more agile. So thank you again for being with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to dive in. The last three years have made everybody aware of what the supply chain is. For better or for worse, it's now in the spotlight, to your point. So, Yes. What are you seeing, I mean, just roughly, as some of what you might call state of the art in attaining that end-to-end visibility that people are craving and haven't really been able to 100% achieve? Sure. Yeah. Things with multi-supplier visibility is one of the big things that we've seen in the last few years, right? Not just knowing do your suppliers have inventories to fulfill your orders, but can their suppliers then fulfill theirs? And so you're seeing some really innovative visibility platforms come out that can actually do things like monitoring news feeds and actually kind of integrating information from the world within your specific supply chain information. So they can start doing proactive alerting around earthquakes in certain areas of the world that may impact production multiple steps up the chain for you. And it's somewhat because these platforms can, you know, look across networks, they can look just beyond your, your supply chain, your data. So 
Yeah, visibility is something I feel like companies will forever be chasing more of. It can't hurt to get more and more data. Then there's the question of what to do with all that data, sure. But a lot that can happen on the visibility front. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's been a really big focus for a lot of companies, whether they've been executing on that or simply discussing how they might gain that greater visibility and and, and sort of tackle some of what you might call those blind spots in the supply chain. Because I think people have a certain amount of visibility at different points, but sure. nobody's really achieved, particularly in something like apparel or other consumer products that have a very complex supply chain, it becomes sure. a lot more difficult to complex supply chain, a more global supply chain. It's not an easy thing to achieve. Yeah, you have suppliers all over the world, and especially you have things like geopolitical pressures that influence where things maybe get made and what the you know throughputs can be of these manufacturers. And a lot of times it's out of your hands. You then have to you know, put things on a ship usually. And that's, we were used to 35, maybe 40 days. And, you know, that spiked up to 70 days. And now that's just kind of all over the place. So I was just reading an article this morning, actually talking about how quickly trucking specifically too has shifted. Just two years ago, it was the time to be a trucker. I mean, that was a really coveted thing. And now apparently it's just really dropped off, which I mean, lines up with what we're seeing as well. Um, but yeah, it's just a really interesting time to be trying to achieve this global supply chain and, you know, how the last couple of years have really impacted that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a tremendous amount of shifts that are going on, and some of them probably are more theoretical and some of them probably will be more practical. How are you seeing, you talked about data earlier, and I think that we've gained the ability to collect more data, but we're not necessarily using it as I don't know what you'd call it intelligently or as effectively as we might be. I mean, how can how can, you know, the utilization of data integration revolutionize supply chain operations? Yeah, wonderful question. So I feel like over the last 10 or 20 years, as supply chains have continued to digitize, it really was just about putting a system in place to manage your operations, especially if you talk about like warehouse management or transportation management. Often that transition was from a paper-based or more manual system to a system at all. So you had just an immense amount of data pouring off, but that wasn't necessarily the focus. Now companies are seeing, okay, we can use that data in a lot of interesting ways. And honestly, as much as it's a you know, really talked about topic, AI is a huge opportunity here, especially you just talk about the volumes of data. I mean, if you're shipping 50,000 orders a day or something, like how many different data points come off of that carton through the warehouse process, through the shipping process, it's almost more than humans can coalesce on their own. So allowing technology to do what it's really good at, which is analyzing big data and looking at a variety of you know points across the supply chain, you'll just continue to see more and more optimizations, both on the inventory front as well as the shipping front. Something that AI is really good at is predicting things and recommending things that humans just would never have thought of, right? It, would, it can try millions of combinations of data points that a human just couldn't go through all on their own. So I think that that's a really big opportunity. You're already seeing a lot of companies start embedding intelligence and insights into their platforms. It's something we're working on as well, but it will only get more and more as the technology continues to advance. So what do you think when you're looking at AI and you look at where it is now and where it could be, do you feel that it needs more does it need more data, access to more data, or does it need 
on the other side of things to be greater integration of that data? Where do you see the sticking point in advancing the utilization of AI? Yeah, I think that AI is accelerating at almost an exponential rate. I mean, faster than just about any technology we've ever seen. The training data that you pass to an AI model has a massive impact on the usability and what kind of comes out on the other side. So I do think there's a component to introducing more data can be beneficial. Now, it is a touchy subject. I mean, you do have to think a lot. I mean, there's, and I'm by no means an expert, but there are people who their entire job is figuring out what training data should we pass a model? Because you send something in that you think is right and it can output biases on the other side that were very unintended, but that can have detrimental consequences. So um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's up and down. You have to kind of be careful with it, but at the same time, the more data that we put into models, the more variables and the more data points it can analyze. So yes, thinking about integration specifically, having some way that you're pulling your warehouse management data, your inventory, your transportation, your accounting, your POs, like kind of all of those pieces that touch an order, touch something shipping, that will just continue to expand what you can do with this intelligence insights types of technology. Yeah, I think it. I think it's interesting. And I think you brought up a good point is that on the upside, there is vast capabilities, right? That you know, AI can can generate so many different potential scenarios. But as you pointed out, if you're putting in poor data, it can also provide inaccurate readings that can mislead you. So, yeah, you know the we importance of yeah. We see that with ChatGPT, right? As amazing as it is, I'll I'll be the first to say too, I was not on the AI train for a long time. I thought it was overhyped. I thought it was nothing. And then you see some of the things ChatGPT can do um, and other large language models as well. That's kind of the main one people know about, even just from like writing blog posts and writing copy and content and things. But to your point, you see it spit out completely wrong answers all the time. And I think that OpenAI and the other companies behind this acknowledge that, you know, they're not trying to say it's perfect right now, but as the consumers and users of the technology, you we need to be aware of that and you can't just trust it blindly. But people have been saying that about the internet forever though, right? You can never trust anything you read on the internet. So, <laughs> so I guess the challenge for companies then is to be able to have guidelines to assure that the data that they're putting into the model is as accurate as possible so that the, the um, answers they're getting back or the recommendations are also as accurate as possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the big pushes too is for transparency around that training data. That's one of the things in the in the technology space that people are pushing for is more availability into what data went in, similar to why open source software works so well. Just more people looking at a training data set may be able to notice something that was off that just, you know, a single company or a single team may not may not see. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because you want to filter out something that could falsely skew the results that you're getting. So that's probably almost as challenging as getting the system set up to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. These are complicated systems to develop, too. I mean, there's been years and years of a lot of research gone into these. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds simplistic when we see ChatGPT working, right, a demo, but you don't really see behind the scenes of the tremendous, like you're saying, development that needs to go in and the ongoing, right, updating and debugging and so forth. Yeah, massive. Absolutely. Now, you talk about the importance of scenario analysis, and I think this is really important because I know in in engineering, digital twins is one way that's playing out, and that's been around for a long time. But in other industries, 
that's just starting to be something people are talking about. So, you know, it's giving people insights for demand planning, for supply chain management. What do you see happening around that? Demand planning is a really interesting place for scenario analysis, actually. And yeah, it's interesting for you to bring up because I think that, you know, demand planners have been so used to being able to use historical sales data. That's kind of always been the kingpin of, you know, how do you forecast as you look for the last five years, you add a growth metric, but just not possible right now. It's a really interesting time. The last couple of years, demand has been so skewed by these external variables that, yeah, how do you plan for what is peak going to look like this year? So I think that, yeah, allowing allowing technology to aid the human decision-making and scenario analysis is a big part of that. Letting, you know, giving users access to data that, so they're not just shooting blind, but at the same time, they're able to layer in just their knowledge of the system, their knowledge of how, you know, your supply chain operates. There's some other like tricks and hacks you can do as well. I mean, things like somebody was telling me the other day, looking at competitors demand. So like if you're trying to sell a new product, go out and find a competitor that's selling something similar and see if you can figure out how to estimate their demand. So there's there are some ways that you can try and get at what that final demand number is without just this historical sales data available. available. Um, but at the same time, yeah, being able to play with numbers and see what happens, you know, play with lead times. What happens if one of your suppliers drops off? Um, it can really influence the decisions, the strategic decisions going forward, what, you know, where to place your suppliers, um, things like that purely based on, yeah, the ability to analyze various scenarios and see see how it would affect you. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And you bring up a good point is that we're used to using the past, right, historic data to project the future. And yeah. yet that isn't necessarily the best measure, as you're pointing out. We've seen in recent years, and I mean, the pandemic, yes, was perhaps a very extreme example, but not necessarily the only example that doesn't fit the mold. So, yeah. I mean, how how do you see beyond looking at what competitors are doing, because competitors are also, I guess, looking at historic data as well. I mean, what sure. what can companies do to be able to tweak their forecasting, to be able to better fine tune what they're doing? Sure. The real key here. So trying what you're trying to predict is how much that demand is going to be in six months or whatever your lead times are. Right. So trying to figure out hacks to get to that number. And yes, historic data has been you know an easy way to get there. But what are some other ways to just to try and figure out what your consumers are going to be wanting to buy at that point? So um, one, then it's a real parallel between software startups as well. But put up a fake landing page or run some fake Instagram ads for a product with just a mock-up or something and just see what kind of inbound you get. It's a thing that you learn with startups where in before you've coded a product, before you've spent years building a product, try and put out a YouTube video about it or try and put, you know, Kickstarter is a perfect example, but do something to try and figure out if there's really demand for your product. And you can do the same whether, you know, if you're apparel or an e-com brand or anything, but do something to get some real feedback from your customers, even like surveys, right? Send out a survey to your existing email list with a set of questions about what do you want for this holiday season? What are the trends you're seeing? So um, any way that you can kind of get to that final number of, or, you know, final prediction, I suppose, of what is your customer really going to be wanting ahead of your lead time? Um, yeah, that that's kind of the key. Yeah, I think that's really important to point out because I think that's where a lot of people are struggling. And that is that everything was fine until all of a sudden it wasn't. 
with the yeah. pandemic. And it kept taking twists and turns that nobody expected. And even now that we're past the pandemic and that, in a sense, logistics has sort of what we call normalized, there's other factors that have come in. So the time that we thought everything was going to be back to normal, it's actually, for some people, worse, right? It's yeah. even it's even gotten more complicated. So yeah. there's a there's a lot to manage. There's always going to be twists and turns when you're dealing with a, a complicated system as a global supply chain. I mean, like no matter, yes, to your point, the pandemic was this massive wrench that, you know, drove focus on supply chain, made people realize they needed to invest in it. But that those types of disruptions, I mean, think about what was it, the ever, ever given the ship right, in the Suez right. Canal, right? I mean, those are the types of things that just happen. You're going to have random variability and have some accident somewhere or a port shut down or, you know, it just it's going to happen. And so I think that it's actually, you know, the pandemic was obviously horrible for so many reasons. But one of the positives that thankfully came out of it is this focus on supply chain. And you said it at the top of the show. I mean, boardrooms and executives are finally realizing we need to invest in supply chain. We need to digitize and put new technology in because they recognize that something can happen very quickly that was not anticipated. And being able to react to that is is absolutely critical. I mean, the flexibility, the agility, you have to have that in today's modern business landscape. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's one of the, the challenges is understanding how to build that flexibility and agility into the system in a way that's practical, because I think that a lot of things sound good on paper. And then when people try to execute on them, it's not as easy to do. So, sure. you know, when you're looking at, at supply chain management, what are steps that companies can do to improve? I mean, I think that that a lot of companies feel intimidated. They don't know where to start. They think sure. that it's going to involve a huge amount of CapEx. So a lot of the companies that I talk to are saying, well, you know, we can manage with what we have because we don't have $20 million to invest on doing an entire new system, right? Sure. And, you know, the question is, does it have to be that expensive, that complicated? You know, it's not just the money. In other cases, it's the disruption that people sure. feel they can't handle. What are you seeing on your side? You make some really good points that do historically make these supply chain transformations difficult. And yet expenditure and the capital required is often one of the pieces. Traditionally implementing an ERP or a WMS are two plus year projects and require a whole team. And it, it is, um, you know, a lot of overhead from the company's perspective. So um, what we often talk to companies about and what we really recommend is try to find what are the actual pain points that you're trying to solve. So often you'll have a kind of C-level directive of we need to digitize our systems. Let's do an ERP that's going to solve all our problems. And I hate to say it, but that's just not always going to be the case. Um, an ERP, I'll, I'm using just to pick on, but any of these supply chain management systems can solve a lot of your problems. But if you don't start with what is that problem you're trying to solve, if the directive is just, oh, we are doing an ERP because we have to do an ERP, that's not really setting the project up for success. I think that one of the places to start is really say, what are our critical bottlenecks? What are for our specific operation? Um, so we're working with a food, um, a food kit manufacturer right now. And so their supply chain is very different than another company's supply chain, maybe apparel, right? So for your specific operations, what are we trying to solve? What are the pain points that we're driving at? And then hack them, hack some things together. You know, try some things in Excel or try some things on paper to get some validation of, is this something that we actually want to focus on and digitize? Because 
the worst thing is to sink two years into a project and you're not actually solving the real pain points. So go talk to the folks that are in your supply chain, you know, whether it's your warehouse associates or maybe it's your dispatch team or people on the front lines, they know what the problems are. They know where their pain points that are slowing them down are. So do an exercise to collect what are those real pain points and requirements, then try and fit a system to that. And you may often find that you end up needing a point solution, not this $20 million ERP. So there's where then, you know, the projects can become simpler if you actually determine this is really the, the system or the, the piece of technology we need. Yeah, I think that's important. And I think that I, I'm really glad you brought that up because a lot of people really feel hesitation on this. And you know, there's this push-pull of knowing we have to do something to be able to better utilize technology and yet having this, you know, resistance to getting involved in projects that may or may not come to fruition, but will definitely cost money. <laughs> yeah. You see it all too often, too, that a company has sunk years and years into a project, even maybe started rolling it out, and then they have to rip it out and replace it because of, you know, unforeseen circumstances. And so that's why, I mean, you know, we tell the story a lot of that Excel and spreadsheets get to a point where they break, but they're also really good tools to try stuff quickly. And, you know, that's one example of trying things fast and iterating quickly to then get to a real solution. And once you've seen it work, okay, then it's time to, yes, let's find a solution that actually fits that. Let's put in a system. Sometimes though, like I mentioned, you know, that could end up being a very specific point solution. And yes, the rest of your operation is still fine in whatever systems you're using today. Um, you're also just seeing a proliferation of cloud native technologies and new modern systems that um, you know, a lot of the legacy players are starting to catch up in that space, but at the same time, their entire tech stack is built on a legacy model. And so they're having to adapt and change while also still supporting, you know, a plethora of other customers. Whereas that's one of the main advantages we have as a startup is being able to come in fresh from the beginning and say, you know, we're going to build on the new modern tech stack and, um, you know, take advantages of everything that cloud has to offer. So. Yeah, I think that's really a good point. And that is a big problem for a lot of companies is because they do have a lot of legacy tech and getting rid of all of that at the same time is you know would be nice, but it's usually not Impossible. practical, right? You have to be able to integrate that new and I suppose transition, right? Little by little yep. um, off of legacy onto new things. So it's a bit of a journey. Yeah. And there's some technologies, too, that are, I feel like, always going to stay in a more legacy model. So especially if you're running a warehouse and you have a control system that's running conveyors, right, that's one set of technology that's not quite transitioned to cloud because of real concerns around latency and things right. like that. You're forever going to have this model where you have lots of different systems talking to each other. That's the nature of supply chain. And so, yes, having a clear integration strategy, whether that's through some type of middleware or just making sure that all of your systems natively integrate and talk to each other. Um, it's something that I think a lot of people, a lot of people used to discredit middleware. Um, people mm -hmm. just didn't think about the integration side of it. They, you know, they assumed that your systems were going to talk. And I think that's a real advantage that you can um, have. And you're seeing some really cool technologies with companies like Zapier. We use Zapier on our website all the time, and there's uh, millions of others too. But um, it just, it's amazing the amount of integration and data connectivity that you can take advantage of with more modern systems now. Oh, absolutely. Now, if you could just take a minute and tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Porter Logic. 
Yeah. So Porter Logic came out of my warehouse management and inventory management experience. I spent about six years implementing warehouse management systems for companies and just saw that, um, you know, there's a lot of gaps that aren't being filled by today's technology. So instead of going out and creating a not just yet another WMS, we created a low a low code application platform that allows companies to plug in technology and all the gaps that they have in their operations. Um, and specifically around things like niche requirements. So we do a lot of work with food and beverage companies. We do a lot of work with CPG apparel companies that have specific ways they need to operate. Sometimes that takes the form of kitting or light manufacturing. Sometimes these are intense quality check type of requirements, but we plug in in all those places that other systems don't. We also don't make you replace what you already have. It's a very interesting model. The way that our technology works, we can just plug into everything that you're already doing. Even if that's spreadsheets, we can pull spreadsheets in and read the, the data from there as well. So um, we're, our, we're in the business of just making operation teams' lives easier. I often make the analogy that supply chain teams are like the offensive linemen of a company. They never get any of the credit, but they get blamed when something goes wrong. So finally, we're trying to focus on these teams and give supply chain teams the actual operational systems they need to, you know, do do what they need, you know, operate their supply chains effectively. So. Wow, it sounds excellent. And I think that really you're on the cutting edge of what is revolutionizing supply chains, which is a lot to manage, but it sounds like what you've put in place is enabling companies to get on what's essentially a fast moving train. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm hugely passionate about supply chain and warehousing. I'm one of the weird nerds that finds warehouses beautiful and amazing and just super fun to be around. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like that it's time that these teams had the systems that they needed. Um, you said it earlier, it's not always feasible to replace a WMS that you've had for years and years. And so let's give teams a way to layer something on top of that, that you don't have to replace it, but that solves these pain points that you're having to deal with every day. And I, you know, I got into this because I did implementation consulting and I was the one on the ground floor for years and years doing these projects. And it, there's just a better way. That's kind of, I mean, it's that classic. I was doing it and said, there's got to be a better way. So, Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. And I want to thank you so much for joining us here. Where can people find you? I think a lot of people would be interested in being able to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing. Yeah, I love to talk to people about anything, supply chain, warehousing, technology. So um, I'm active on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place to follow, find me, Jonathan Porter. You can look us up, porterlogic.com as well, and find us there. So yeah, would be happy to talk to anybody interested. Excellent. Well, I'll put all the links in the show notes. And I want to thank you again, Jonathan, for joining us here on A Seat at the Table. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Really had a great time.